Um, hey, I want to jump in. I want to talk to you guys about faith, um, probably not so much about faith itself. I'm going I'm to start there, but I want to talk about the fact that, that we as believers, we have been called to live a life um, to do the impossible. We've been called to do great, great things in the kingdom. Everybody sitting here, you've actually been called to lead wherever you're at. Um, I think that's a common, a common conversation that we have in Vine Life in our church. Um, and so I want to talk about the fact that, that there's actually a journey from him calling you into something and you actually moving towards it and actually arriving in a place of faith, kind of setting it up. I, I didn't do this in first service, and, and I have learned um, that when I don't have a message put together that well, and, um, and I'm actually personally processing some of this stuff. I can do that here because you guys are family. I would not do that in some places. <laughs> you get the benefit of family right now. And um, that I need to tell you where we're going. That way it doesn't really matter how bad I do. We'll, we'll all arrive at the same place. And that is this. Like, like, um, there are a few statements that Jesus makes um, throughout Scripture, particularly in the Gospels, that, that have gripped my heart actually ever since I was a teenager. And they were these. It is, um, your faith has made you well. Your faith has healed you. And your faith has saved you. Like those three comments, and, and um, one was to the woman who was bleeding for nine years. One was to the Syrophoenician woman who said, like, help my daughter. And Jesus um, kind of called her a dog, and, 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 and she jumps out with the breadcrumb thing. And, and, she's, and here's what I got from those three things, is that there were people, a few, a handful of people recorded in Scripture, that their faith actually surprised Jesus. And listen, he's God, so if you can surprise him pretty awesome. And so it has been like a personal goal of my life where I'm like, God, like I actually, and it's kind of a weird thing because you actually pray to him about that you actually want to surprise him. So I don't know how that actually works out, but I think it's possible. So I'm like, God, like I actually want to live. I want to be a person of faith. I want to be a man of faith that actually comes to a place that sets you on your heels. It actually sets you on your heels where you're like, oh my gosh, Jimmy, amazing. Like, I want to do that. And, and it's actually been a journey from my teens till now where I'm actually believing, believing that in, our, in my lifetime, we will actually be a generation that sets Jesus back, that sets him back on his heels and actually surprises him. I, don't, I think there's been handfuls of people, maybe even churches, small groups of people, but I don't think we've seen a generation do it. And I want to see a generation that surprises Jesus with their faith. Okay. And now we're going to talk about, like, it's super scary to get there. You guys good? All right. Go to Hebrews. Go to chapter 11. We're going to jump right in. Are you good? All right. It says, Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of the, excuse me, <laughs> substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony, and by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Jump to verse 6. But without faith it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So faith, faith is an interesting word. I think, I think we use faith as a word for a whole bunch of different things, honestly. And, and when you get down to the nitty gritty of it, faith is the substance. It's actually the tangible presence of heaven. It is, it is actually more real or becoming more aware of heaven's realities than anything that's in this room. Like it's, it's, it's real. 
It's more real than anything else in your life. Faith is that moment where you actually grab hold of what God's doing, who he is, and it just, and it just eclipses everything else in your world. You with me? All right, here's the thing. Here's the beauty of this one. God goes, listen, it's impossible to please him without faith. So how many of you guys want more faith? You're like, yes, and you could all lift as many limbs as you possibly could. I want more faith. The beauty of this is, and this is how good God is, he's like, listen, it's impossible to please me without faith. And yet faith comes from hearing and it comes from an encounter with him. And so the very thing that you actually need to please him, he's happy to give you. And so like when you meet Jesus for the very first time, it's not because you're a person of faith. It's because you actually just you heard about the possibility of this good God. You heard about the possibility of this person, Jesus. And in belief, you actually start to turn your heart towards with him, towards him. And he comes and deposits faith in your life. And in that encounter, he becomes the most real thing in your life. All of a sudden, I mean, at one moment you're over here and you're like, I think there might be a God. And you begin to turn your heart towards him and you come over here and he shows up. And in that encounter with the faithful one, you became faith filled. You with me? And this actually becomes like it's in that encounter where all of a sudden Jesus is more real than everything. Like I didn't even know you existed two minutes ago. And now you're like, you are it. You are the most real thing in my life. You are the only certain, certain thing in my life. And this becomes abiding faith. It doesn't mean that there's not situations in your life that you actually have to, in things that he's going to call you into, that you don't necessarily have faith for those things. Because when you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to a life of motion. You say yes to a life of movement. Jesus never said like, hey, come hang out with me. He said, come and follow me. Which means you're saying, continually saying yes on a daily basis. Continually in every situation, everything he's calling into, you have a choice on whether you say yes to it or not. Here's the thing that has um, uh, been challenging for me in, in the last couple of years. Actually, it's been challenging all my life, but, it, but I've been able to articulate it better in the last couple of years or I'm learning more about it. And that is this, is, is that there's something inside of us that says that faith, that once you have faith... You have it, and you'll, you'll never doubt, you'll never be uncertain, you'll never be weak, you'll never, you'll never have a moment of difficulty about that issue again. You guys know what I'm saying. Um, there's, there's, there's something, I, I grew up in the church, and so um, like I, I realized that there was, there's some kind of a stigma that has been attached to uncertainty and doubt inside of the church that actually has held me back at moments in my life from taking great steps of faith. Because, because to me, faith was like, I don't doubt. That I'm rock solid, that I absolutely know. Only on the contrary, like, I remember um, I, I sold in first service, like, I was four years old when I gave my life to Jesus. I remember the chair I was sitting in in my mom's room, and she, and she, she, she led me into, this, into meeting Jesus. And I remember there was a fire going on. I remember it was like a velvet chair. I remember the feel of it. I remember the smell of it. I remember the moment that I met Jesus for the first time. And then I remember being, I remember being, and he became so real to me in that moment. And I remember about, I'm, I don't, I think I was 12 years old. I might have been 11. And I was sitting, and it's funny that all these things happen to me when I'm in chairs. 
But I was sitting in my grandparents' living room, and it was a year before we moved to Mexico, and my dad was in Bible college for a year, and, and we were living with my grandparents because they were preparing to go to Mexico. And, and I remember sitting in a chair. I, again, I remember the texture of this chair, and I was sitting there, and I don't remember what had happened. I just remember that I was becoming aware of um, sin. When you're four and you meet Jesus for the first time, you don't really know that you need to be saved. <laughs> When you're 12, you start learning, like, hey, I got some issues. Yet I already knew him and was becoming aware of that. And I remember sitting in the chair and I was just like, I don't know that I'm really saved. And it was funny because I'm having conversations with Jesus about whether or not I'm really saved or not. And I remember sitting there and so, so I, like, I did what I knew how to do. I was like, I'm going to fleece this thing. Now, I didn't have a fleece. I had a dog. And this dog was an incredible dog. It never stopped wagging its tail. It never stopped wagging its tail. And so I was sitting in this chair and big glass windows behind me. And, um, and I'm sitting there. I'm just kind of wrestling with Jesus. Like, am I really saved? If I died, am I going to heaven? I don't know. I lied to my mom. And, you know, all those things. And so I'm sitting there and I go like, like I know what to do. I'll just, I'll, well, we'll ask him. And he will give me a sign. It was going to be amazing. And so this dog never stops wagging its tail. I'm like, so Jesus, if I turn around and my dog is wagging its tail, like you want to make sure you're pretty like solid. I'm like, if my dog is wagging his tail, like, I'll know that you're speaking to me and, I, and I'm set. I'm eternally set. So I like turn around, open my eyes, and my dog's there. And first time in my entire life, the dog's not wagging his tail. And I'm just like, oh, God. You know, I did that like two times, the three times. And I turn around, oh, my gosh. You're like, Jesus, give my life to you, da, da, da. Here we go, turn around. He's still not wagging his tail. I've never seen this happen before. So I'm in a moment of uncertainty, of doubt, and all of these things. And I sit back down, and, and I was sitting in, in my grandma's chair. My grandpa's Bible is next to it. They had two recliners, and I'm sitting there. And so I grab the Bible, and I open it. I do the, the whole thing, like, well, maybe the dog was a bad idea. I'll fleece it. God, give me something to read. And I split the book in half, and it opens to Proverbs, and I read something that was not good. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there, and so I, I don't know what else to do, but I just start reading. And so I'm reading, and what I'm reading, like I have no recollection of, I don't remember what it was, but I remember this, that not what I was reading, but while I was reading, Holy Spirit came on me. <laughs> and it just ruined me. And this faith, this abiding faith that I would never be without him came upon me. This is all I want to say about that is this, is I met him when I was four, and he became the most real thing in my life at four. I know it's so funny when I say that. And then I get to 12, and I hit this moment, this wall of uncertainty and doubt. And when I turn to him, and I'm just like, God, I don't know what to do. I'm supposed to be a person of faith. He comes. He is not afraid of your process to faith. He's not afraid of, of moments of uncertainty and weakness. On, on the contrary, it's in your weak, weakness that his strength is made perfect. Okay, keep going. I love um, Hebrews, and I love, I love that we jump to, if, I'm not going to read them all, but if you jump down to, um, <clears throat> if you jump down to uh, verse 8, it begins, actually, verse 4, it actually begins to start listing off just amazing men and women of faith. And, you know, we go from Abel and Enoch and we jump into Noah and then we jump into Abraham. Jumps into Abraham as a man of great faith. Jumps into Sarah, 
I'm a woman of great faith. And it starts going down the line through all of the, through all of the patriarchs and through all these different people. It gets to Moses. It gets to Moses' parents and it gets to, it gets to Moses himself. And let me read this one in verse 23. And it says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was not afraid of the king's command. Verse 24, it says, By faith, Moses, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction of the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And it begins to keep going on. And let me read this section, and I'll come back to that. Verse 30, and it says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled. For seven days, by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would, would fall me to tell you of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and also David, Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong and became valiant in battle and turned to fight the armies of aliens. I love it. I, I read this all the time. I, I read those, those heroes of great faith and, and I read them, but, but there's, do you know that when you turn back to their actual stories and you, you turn back to their lives, you, you start to realize that when God remembers their life in Hebrews, it's not exactly the same as, as what you read in the beginning. And so you read, you read the story of, and it mentions Moses' parents, and there's a lot of parents in the room, there's a lot of babies in the room. And it says that, you know, there, there's a law that has been passed that says every, every male-born child is to be executed and, and killed. And, and Moses is born, and it says that his parents saw him and saw that he was beautiful. Well, so did every other parent. But they saw him and, and they, they grabbed this little baby and they hid him for three months. Hid him for three months trying to keep him quiet. And it got to this point where, where at three months Moses was just too loud. And out of, and I, I, want to, I believe this, out of fear of being caught, they take Moses, it says they build him an ark. They make him a little boat and they take this baby boy who is their treasure and they take this beautiful baby boy and they make this little boat and they send him down the river. I don't think that there's anybody in here that would actually qualify that in the moment as parent where you're like, I'm trying to conceal, I'm trying to hide my son and take him and go, listen, we're going to be found out as a family. Therefore, we're going to build a boat and just send him down to the river and go, I'm full of faith. So, I feel so filled with faith right now. Bye, son. <laughs> and you get to Moses' actual life and you get to him. And, and when you come back to Exodus and you read it, it doesn't say that like, he, he gave up on the palace life. It says that he started to engage and understand who the, Israelite, who the Hebrew people were. And then he went out and he wanted, to, he wanted justice for those people. And, and in trying to do that, he committed murder. And when he realized, like, listen, that was probably a bad decision. Like, I could be executed for this myself. It says, out of fear, he ran away from Egypt. 
But that wasn't the end of the story, because when you get to Hebrews and you read it, how God sees it was that Moses was a man of great faith. And we could keep going, actually, through almost every one of these. Abraham, he is a man of great faith, a father to us all. And yet he took matters into his own hands. Sarah, it says that he, I'm not going to go look at, but, but believed that, that he who spoke was actually faithful and capable of performing the promise that he spoke over. Yet, yet when you go back and you read it, she actually laughed in his face. And you start to understand and you start to realize like, hey, faith, faith is certain and it is, it is becoming absolutely certain of the promises of God. It's becoming certain of the thing in my life. But he's not afraid of those moments of weakness, uncertainty, and all the doubt. And there's, I started realizing in the last couple of years, there's, I had gotten myself to a place where it was like, I actually don't want to move. I don't want to move what he's calling me towards until I get to this place of absolute certainty. And it started to freeze like some of the motion in my life with God. You guys good? I, um, if you go back a little bit, when, when the Lord started speaking to us, um, just before he started speaking to us about continents and expanding from where we had been in Mexico for, you know, over 25 years at the time. Um, he started talking to us about, like, listen, I, I'm, I'm going to take you into a season where you actually start to learn to take greater risk, a season of risk and, and faith and promotion. And um, honestly, that, like, scared me um, because I had grown up in such a faith-charged environment already. Like, we were living, we were already living in a way that it was like, God, if you don't show up every day, like, we're going to fail. Like, we're, we're totally stretched. We're far beyond our capacity of what we can do. We're, we're genuinely living in this place. And he goes, hey, I'm going to take you into a season of learning how to take risk. And I'm like, oh, God, what does that mean? Like, seriously. And so it's super exciting on one side, and it's, and it's super this. But what, and what I've learned in this process is, like, like, I remember when, when he started speaking to us about Europe and then we flew over here and we started going through Moldova and then Romania and through all these God encounters, we get to a specific building and, and we're like, like we walk through the doors of this building and God goes, and Holy Spirit goes, this is it. And so you grab hold of it and you're like, man, God spoke to me so clearly. And then when you go home and you're like, listen, um, we got to raise, and you go through all the negotiations, and you're like, listen, we got to raise all this money, and we got to do all of these things this far beyond anything we've ever done before. You're like, well, maybe this is it could be interpreted differently. <laughs> like, was that, did you mean, when you said this is it, did you mean like I was supposed to buy it? Like, did you mean like, like, I don't know what it could mean, but, but, but is, was there another situation? And I remember going to our board and some of our friends and people that were praying with us and processing it, and they were like, listen, before we actually commit and you actually do this, like, I wanna, we want to make sure your faith is in the right spot. Like, you have, like, our faith is good. And to me, that means, like, I'm rock solid. And I'm like, so it, with them, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm full of faith for this. And then I'd be like, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and go, oh, man, I don't know. But this, <laughs> I hope that means it's resonating with you just a little bit. 
But this is what I realized in this process was like, I didn't want to talk to anybody about that. Because it started to disqualify, because it felt like it started to disqualify me from being a man of faith. And, and I started realizing like, like words like doubt, like attached to, to Thomas. And, I, and I, it's so funny, I, I, re, I, look, I started thinking about this a couple days ago and I looked up Thomas, just, I Googled him. I know where he is in the Bible, but I Googled him. And Wikipedia comes up and it's like the doubting apostle. And there's this stigma in the church of like, listen, you either are a person of faith or you are a doubter. And if you're a doubter, it disqualifies you from being a person of faith. And I don't believe that it's true. And what I, what I do believe is what it is, is, is that kind of thinking holds us back from getting out of the boat. Look, he's, not, he's so not afraid of your process that when you, when you are willing to step out of the boat, he's willing to show up in the moments of uncertainty and kiss you. He's willing to show up and give you a sign. Like, how many of you guys, how many of you guys actually need signs to get home? Not one hand. I remember when I was, um, when I was uh, like five or six years old and I was going to kindergarten and um, I had been thinking about it for a couple days, like internally dwelling on this and I couldn't handle it anymore one morning and my mom pulls out of the driveway, we drive like probably just, just down the street and I just burst into tears like this terror falls over me and my mom's like, Jimmy, what's wrong? And I'm like, mom, like, I don't know how to get home. And, and I'm, I'm just bawling, and, and my mom's like, what do you mean you don't know how to get home? And I'm like, I don't know how to get home. I couldn't say anything more than that, and I'm crying. And she's like, Jimmy, it's, it's, it's okay. Like, I'm going to pick you up from school. And I'm like 20 years beyond her, and I'm like, Mom, one day I'm going to go to work? <laughs> I am not going to, I don't know where we live. And my mom, she's so great. Like, I don't know if I was late to school that day or not, but she immediately pulls over at the next street corner and she stops and goes, Jimmy, look at that pole. And it goes up and it was, it was first street and it said Tavern Estates. And she goes, that's a sign. And I, that's all she said. And she goes, that's a sign, Tavern Estates. And then she took me to the next street corner. She stopped the car and she pulled and goes up. And I think it said treat. All the way to school, every street corner she stopped. And when she picked me up, she did the same thing all the way home. And she did it until one day she said, do you know the way home? And she goes, I think I do. And so, so I would sit in the front seat on those days and I would tell her how to get to school and how to get back. Listen, in moments of uncertainty, in moments of weakness is the time that he shows up with a, a sign to show you the way. Look, and here's, here's what I'm realizing is like, when you get to a place of absolute, rock-solid, certain faith, you get to this abiding faith for your salvation, you get to this abiding faith for, for healing, you get to this abiding faith, you don't need signs any longer. You actually own that land. But when you actually step out into this, into this journey of this new thing that he's calling you into, and you get to this place of uncertainty, and you don't know how to get where he's calling you, he shows up with signs. And here's the thing, I want to live a life that requires signs because I don't know how to get there. I want to live a life that needs signs and wonders taking place in my life so I can keep moving towards the voice and towards the place that he's calling me. 
Listen, it says that, that, and these signs will follow those who believe. It doesn't say, and these signs follow those that are just rock-solid men and women of faith. You guys all right? Uh, when, we, um, when we did get to Romania, and we got there, and, and through all these encounters, I told you, we got to this building that we were not looking for. We just there was there was nothing about it that, that, that I wanted. I want I had a very specific like I want vacant land, I want a piece of dirt that we can build slowly on because it's what we know how to do. And this guy kept saying, who's who's actually on our on our on our team now and, and he kept saying, Do you want to see this factory? You want to see this factory? And I'm like, No, I don't want to see a factory. And so finally to appease him we go and, and I told you when we when, when we walked through the doors, Holy Spirit said, This is it. And um, maybe, maybe six months into talks and negotiations with those people, we hadn't pulled the trigger and we hadn't told our own ministry and, and church family that we were going to go ahead and do it. And, um, and, and the Lord said, and it was Easter morning and we were opening a brand new church campus that was already this huge financial stretch for us. Like we finished it the night before, like we sealed all the floors the night before, everything was brand new, new, new chairs. And we were getting ready for Easter morning service, and I was walking through the chairs praying. People thought we thought I was praying for people, but I wasn't. I was praying for myself. And I'm a good pastor. And um, because the Lord was saying, like, I want you to commit to the church family that you're going to buy this building in Romania. I was just like, God, we don't, we don't have one penny of resource to do that. And so I'm walking through the chairs, and this was, this was, this was my only prayer. Like, God, if I get up there and tell everybody we're going to do this, you better show up. You better, in particular, you better bring the money. <laughs> and I was, I was sitting over the chairs like this. It was brand new, and I opened my eyes, and there's, there's a brand new 10 cents of a peso, which you cannot get a lower denomination of money. Actually, I don't think on the planet you can get a lower denomination of money that I know of. And like, like it's, it's so small. And I saw it and I just knew it was from him. I, was, I picked it up and I was like, all right, God, we got this. Good, that's enough. And so we got up and we committed to it. And, and I think we did almost six more months of negotiations. And, and God just moved through those negotiations. And here's what I want to say. Like, like I was watching God move through those negotiations. They went from $3.2 million to $1.4 million. And just thing after thing started coming together, other than the fact that we didn't have the money. <laughs> and so we get to, and, and amazingly, we raised like 265000 which we've never done before for a down payment. And we got to the day of signing contracts, and we were in the building, in the warehouse. We had this huge table, and there was all these plans and contracts in Romanian that I didn't understand. And, um, and I was pretending like I understood them. And I was, in, I was doing this, apparently I do the same position all the time, like I lean over, <laughs> like I'm dying. People think I'm praying. But I was kind of praying. And, and we're getting to that moment of like, listen, are you going to sign these papers and you're going to transfer the down payment, which is everything you have? And I was sitting there and I was just, everybody's talking about contracts and stuff. And I was like, God, oh, is this really a good idea? Like, she would really do this. And, and he was like, yeah, yeah, do this. Just so quietly, like, yeah, do this. And I'm like, could you talk louder? <laughs> and I opened my eyes, like, kind of like in the same way, like six months before. And I opened my eyes and there's 10, 10 bond, which is, again, like the lowest denomination you can get in, in Romania. And I'm like, okay. And I'm always like, God, I'm totally ready for these denominations to be bigger, like million-dollar checks or something. But, but I'll take it. Like, I'll take that. I know that that's it. Like, it's in those moments of uncertainty and weakness that he actually shows up with a sign. And he's okay with that. 
We were at Bethel um, a couple months ago, and, and same thing. We were, we were at the conference, and they were raising money for the building, and things were not going the way we thought they were going to go. And it was like the last session, and, and Gina and I were getting dressed, and it was like, oh, my gosh, I don't know. And so we, we get dressed, and, and we're trying to walk out the door, and Gina goes, oh, my gosh, there's something in my shoe. And she takes her shoe off and shakes it out, and, and 10 cents of a bond shows out, manifested in her shoe. He is not afraid of your process from here to a place of faith and breakthrough. And the only thing that you need to be certain of is the voice that's calling you and speaking to you. You don't have to know the how. You just have to know the who. The only way to become a generation that surprises Jesus with our faith is to take great risk. And this is the thing. It, 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 those two things, faith and risk, are married, and yet they kind of oppose one another. Risk actually speaks of, of there's an element of failure. And I wish I had a better answer for you than that. <laughs> Other than this. Every great move of God has taken place because men and women, his children, have taken great steps into the unknown. I believe that even when we get it wrong, he shows up. There's that much grace for it. 